Francesco Molinari, right before he won the British Open at Carnoustie, he talked about how his coach grilled him for three months before that tournament because Francesco wanted to win it so bad. When they would get to the golf course and start working, it was nothing but pressure games to put him in a situation where he just had this overwhelming amount of stress on him. And I think that's ultimately what helped Francesco get to that point. His coach put him in a position where he was trying to win that golf tournament every day before the events even started. Hey everyone, welcome to Apex Golf IQ, the podcast where we help you become a smarter golfer with a club in and out of your hand. I'm KB Blanchard and today I'm joined in the lab by Wyatt Larkin. How's it going? And Quinn Griffin. Hello. And today's topic, we're going to talk about some interesting stuff. We're going to kind of debunk a list that came up across our table. We're going to have a few different points today and we're going to talk about those and see what we think. Kind of, kind of some myth debunking here. Okay. So, uh, if Quinn, you want to start it up and kind of give us our first one, we'll go from there. You should always keep your feet still in the golf swing. Well, mm. I don't know if I definitely don't agree with that. I like stability, but there definitely has to be some type of foot release in the in the forward swing. Obviously, we know to help us get our body to rotate. So, not necessarily the best tip you can give somebody to keep your feet really still throughout the swing. Well, I mean, how do you generate power? Oh, you right. use the ground forces, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So you got to have that energy going right and then left, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting. What do you think, Quinn? Do you think, uh, you, think you have to use your feet a lot in the golf swing? I think you'd be dynamic in the golf swing, and dynamic in, incorporates the whole body being involved at certain points of the swing. So the feet, I think, are crucial because they connect to the ground. They create your ground forces, like you said, KB, and, and they create that good stability in the ground there. So, you know, if you'd have um, a player that is not as mobile, would you tell them to keep their heel on the ground? Of course not. You'd have the heel come off the ground. And there was a period in time, like when I started playing golf, everyone took the heel off the ground. And then there was a movement in golf where, hey, you know, you can create more torque and power by keeping the left heel down the ground. And so there was a movement in that. And now I see a movement back where both are acceptable. Um, so I, I think the feet have to be active. That's correct. Well, I mean, you think about a pitcher too, right? Like a pitcher can't throw a ball 90 feet. Is it 90 feet? I'm not a baseballer. Yeah. Okay, yeah. thank God. Um, a, a pitcher can't throw at 90 feet if they're just standing still, right? Yeah, definitely not. Well, if they can, it's just not going to have nearly as much force behind it. Same yeah. thing with a golf swing. Yeah. So I don't think I've ever heard that one, by the way. What was like that? Like keeping your feet still. Yeah, I've never heard that. That's, a, that's this list I've is the heard first that. time I've heard that. I've heard that. Definitely. This one I hear all the time. It, it drives me absolutely crazy. It is the most common. If you could pick one common thing one of your students would say when they missed a ball, what do you, what would they say at KB? Oh, that's a good one. So one common thing, topped it. Okay. But the, the, the reason why they topped it? Oh, stood up. I stood up. Okay. Swing. What do you think? Keep your head down. That's right. Keeping your head down. Boy, what a fallacy on that. Because there are a Hall of Famers that would make a lateral bump into the right side, you know, four or five inches, and then come back to center point and then move out of the shot as they hit the ball. And, again, I think that deals with the mobility. But you think about it, the the golf swing, you're swinging on an an incline arc, okay? So your head is staying relatively centered on the backswing. Again, the key word relative. But then as you're coming through the ball – and hitting the ball beyond that, the right shoulder then uh, clear out your your head where you can now look at the ball. You don't see golfers on the PGA Tour that hitting the ball and they're making a full swing and their head staying down. They wouldn't have the ability to rotate all the way through the shot. Yeah, I've, I've definitely had that. I kind of explain it the same way you do, Quinn, is like 
you know, how are we supposed to get our chest and that lean through the golf ball if we keep our head down the whole time, right? We're going to be flipping through the shot, which honestly, I would say that 60 to 70% of the golfers that come through here struggle with that flip. Oh, yeah, so. definitely. There's a lot of good drills. You see uh, Dustin Johnson is one of the players that I watch that does this. He does like an eyes out early drill. So probably halfway down his backswing, he starts to get, let his eyes look towards the hole or the target line to help him clear his chest out. That's well, and that gets him to make a swing. That gets him to make a swing versus a hit. Correct. You know, you have players that sometimes hit the ball like they're cutting wood, and that never works. Yeah, and David Duvall is one that comes to mind. Annika comes to my mind. Those are two players that got out of the shot really quick with their heads, okay? But their coaches, for whatever reason, they worked through that. And David Duvall won many majors, or excuse me, one major, the British Open, or the Open Championship. And Annika, you know, arguably the best female golfer of all time so far. Uh, so, And she won the U.S. Open last year as a senior, so it's pretty cool. Okay, how about this one? You should change balls in cold weather. Change a different compression. Hmm. I've heard the one where you put the, you know, you put your little hot pocket hand or whatever. Warmer. Yeah, 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 the hand warmer on the golf ball. That's illegal That's if you're playing in competition. Yeah, now it is in competition. But, yeah, I, I don't <laughs> know about changing golf balls. I like the, the same type of golf ball throughout. Now, I get the factor behind it because the temperature. You maybe want a softer golf ball for more compression, whether you're playing in heat. But – I don't see how that would – I would want to keep it consistent throughout the bag. I don't want to be changing golf balls based on each weather. What's the idea behind that? Just yeah. firmer Compression. firmer, and, like, trying to get it to go further and stuff, I'm yeah. guessing? Yeah. I'm you know, they say, the res- they say the results show there's no realistic temperature that would affect a golf ball's compression enough to change the ball. That's what all the experts say on that. Now, back – it's like 35 degrees and versus <coughs> 95. I think the, the 95 is going to have – the ball is going to be slightly softer. Is that what you're saying there? Well, the ball will go farther. We're not talking about ball traveling if you have temperature difference. We're talking about if it's cold, should you change from a Pro V1 to a – AVX. The AVX or should you trade to a, a true soft or some otherwise. Should you shift out of there because that ball will be firmer? And, and the, all the experts says no, there's not yeah, enough. So, so whatever so the ball you're playing. Now, are you going to lose distance with cold weather? Of course you are. You know, because the molecules in the air versus hot, you know, versus like humidity and stuff. Yeah, of course. And and just like altitude will change that, too. Here's another great one. So this is one I kind of grew up on because I'm a little bit older in golf than you guys are. Okay, today, you guys know this is that you'll jump on this answer right away. Golf uh, is not a sport. No, that's that's a big debate on that one. I think that's one that my wife would like to answer, too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you look at, are, are we are we really golfers or are we athletes? And the answer is, heck yes, because if you look right now on the PGA Tour, I mean, there's a lot of great players out there, there's no question. But if you would peel back the onion and find out their background, their pedigree, they all played some form of other sports. Because if you get an athlete that comes into you and Mr. Smith brings Johnny and he says, hey, my son wants to play the PGA Tour, great. How old is he? He's 12, great. He just wants to work on golf and golf only. Then what happens is they've never developed that awareness and space of different parts and movement patterns uh, as an athlete. So having your child, your daughter, or your son playing sports up until the you know, TPI says up until the age of about 12 to 13, they should play everything on the planet. And then when they're about 13, then they should you know, sing along focused on that one sport. But again, I get a kick out of it. Golf's not a sport. You know, like, okay, is cricket not a sport then? Yeah. 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 
I, th- I think now it's it's become more of an athletic sport just Guaranteed. because people have found the technology to see like, hey, oh, pressure plates. We were just having yeah, a conversation we about, about Padraig Carrington looking at pressure plates in like the 90s. Yeah, 92, right? 93, yeah. And he was like one of the first ones to really like dive into that and get full force into it. And that's when even um, we had a conversation as well today about, you know, having athletes come from different backgrounds and coming in, you know, and trying to play golf, they, they start to take it on a lot easier than other people because they have that athletic motion. Cause it is un- naturally golf swing is not a natural motion. No. Yeah. It's so, definitely different yeah. than other things. You tell somebody to throw a ball from here to there, they can do it. But you say, Hey, pick up a golf club and chip it from here to there. They have, they, they yeah. just crumble. Yeah. So a- equipment doesn't matter. Uh, that's false. Equipment definitely matters. As Quinn, as Quinn, you always say, equipment affects motion. So if you have the wrong equipment in your hand, your body's going to make some sort of compensation to try to get that equipment to work better, and that means it's not fit for you. Okay, but what about this? Does equipment matter when you get a little bit better or when you're starting? I get yeah. that question a lot. Yeah, that's, so, a, that's a really good question. So let me ask you a question. So I'm a, a beginner runner versus a guy as a marathon runner. Does the footwear matter? So would I go in there and grab a gym shoes at size 12 and I wear nine or would I write a shoe that has a heel release versus a toe release? Of course it does. So equipment matters. And no matter what level of golfer you are, you should have the right equipment for where you're at today. Okay. One of my biggest frustrations with fitters is they fit for the future. They don't fit for today. Now, granted, you know, being a father of three and buying gym shoes and clothes, you always kind of anticipate their growth a little bit. So you, you know, have a little bit bigger shoe you would do. But with a player, uh, especially with a beginner, you need to make sure you have an equipment that the motion you're going to train them to do is going to reward that motion. So if I give somebody too stiff a shaft and they're a beginner, they're going to hit everything off their trail foot every time. And they're never going to develop into a good player there. Lie angle, you know, lie angle has such a huge influence on where the ball goes. A lie angle is too flat, the ball goes to the right. A lie angle is too upright, the ball goes to the left. Well, again, if, the, if we don't have the correct lie angle when that player comes in right off the bat, then they're in trouble. You know, and that's why, you know, like Apex here, we have a lying loft machine on property because we, we consider that such a vital importance of equipment and teaching that when I'll be with a player, especially with wedges, they you know, have a club that's too upright and they're hooking their wedges. Well, you know, I'm not saying I've never hooked a wedge into a green, but it's not, it's probably one out of a hundred I'm going to do because I want my ball falling right. So lie angle is everything. Yeah. And I, I, to add to that as well as like yesterday I had a fitting, did some wedges and everything. And, and this guy has been playing golf for, I don't know, 20 years. And we had a conversation about his lie angles with his wedges, right? And modifying them, allowed him to chip it a little bit better. Got the blade under it, got it up, you know, got it up in the air, got that flange where it needed to be underneath the ball. And it just made it a lot easier for him. He's never had that before. So enlightened him, right? And I think the a, a bigger question too is 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 equipment the same for a beginner as a pro? What do you think? I maybe? would say not, definitely not. No, I mean there's like like with Ping and Titleist and all these brands that, that we represent as players, they all have different uh, variabilities as far as consistency and and higher skill versus lower skill players miss hits and managing that. So if you look at someone who plays, let's say a T three hundred iron versus a a blade, more of a higher skill player that has a more centered sweet spot will play a blade versus a player who's going to hit a little off center. They'd play a more forgiving club, let's say like a cast club or something with a little bit more forgiveness, like a a T300. Mm -hmm. So equipment definitely varies based on skill level, but 100% you want to have the right equipment for your skill. You'll hear that. I'll hear, well, custom fitting is only for the lower handicapper player. Well, okay. So you have Mr. Smith comes in, he's a 30 handicapper and he's playing with a club that's four degrees flat 
and he's half shanking the ball and, and slicing it dead right. Well, if I wouldn't do anything to swing, but chase his lie angle to two degrees upright, that ball is going to create some draw on it because of just the lie angle influence. So custom fitting club for low handicaps is just absolutely not correct. Here, how about this one? Lower lofts go farther. Hmm. I don't necessarily agree with that because you can have really low loft, but if you don't have the speed to get that ball up in the air, there's no way that thing's going to carry over 10 feet. So if I have a four iron, if I have a four iron at 22 degrees of loft and I swing at 50 miles an hour, it's probably only going to carry 50 yards. Are, are they asking on that article, are they saying lower loft as in like static loft, Quinn? Yeah. Or like No, they're talking yeah, a static loft, correct. Okay. They're saying a lower lofted club will go farther. And KB nailed it right on the head. Yeah, you, based on speed. So you, speed's everything. Thing. So we know that. We, we talk about launch windows in here at Apex with our fitting and, and teaching. So if we get a, a gentleman in here that swings a club or a female that swings a club at a slower speed and they launch that ball, say, uh, let's say they launch a five iron at, oh, no, that wouldn't be even fair with that. Say a seven iron, they're launching it at like 18 degrees versus launching at 21. That 18 is going to come out of the sky a lot quicker than that 21. So you want to find that optimal launch window. You know, I just built a set for a junior with uh, Ping's help. And, uh, and we were really focusing on that launch window where we could hit the apex, get the maximum apex out of it with there. So that's that's key, no question about it. Yeah, and that'll also change your landing angle, which will help you kind of hold those greens better when you when you launch it higher. Would that would that have something to do with lie loft though? Yeah, exactly. So kind of going back to that for those of our listeners who don't really understand what lie and loft is, a quick quick representation of that is based on how flat the sole of the club or the leading edge of the club rests on the ground. If your toe is off the ground, the club face is pointing left with a square club face, that would be an upright lie angle. If your heel is off the ground with a square club face and the club face points right, you would have a flat lie angle. And then loft is basically the angle of the club face relative to 90 degrees relative to the horizon. Correct. That's spot on. Another way to think about it is the angle that the hosel is pointing out of the ground relative to the ground being zero. So if it's pointing, you know, it's not 90 degrees, so it's not straight up. It's not straight down. It's halfway there. It's a 45-degree angle. So a standard today in the marketplace on a, on most manufacturers make their lie angles on a 7-iron 62 degrees, okay? When I was started doing fit, fitting, the, the industry was about 60. So we've gone more upright, and we've gone longer. I was about to say, and then also they decrease the loft too, right? Well, that's like, a whole different subject. They've created this. I think it's a joke. You know, you get a... When I started playing golf, a pitch wedge was 52 degrees. Today, you can find a pitch wedge at 39 degrees That's, yeah. that has a P on it. So all you've done is just kind of manipulate it on the bottom of the sole. The numbers are not true representations of what an what a pitch wedge is. It's really a pitch wedge is kind of a glorified eight iron of then. So. And you'd say that's more of kind of a marketing thing, right? 100%. I mean, you get a player says, oh, I hit a pitching wedge 145 versus them saying I hit it 110. Right, so that's the, that's the yep. difference you can see. Well, it gets me back into my next one. I'm going to buy a game versus taking lessons. Ooh, I hear that one often. Yeah, yeah. I would say invest in the invest in the golf swing first, and then and then go for all the spend all that money on the clubs. Clubs won't buying new clubs won't fix your golf swing. Yeah, I you know, but that goes back again to that that previous myth of getting the right equipment, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, I think it, it's kind of like a definitely a thing where you need to get a set of clubs, get started, have an idea, mm -hmm. 
then find the right clubs for yourself. Love right? that idea. You know, I think having an idea of what you need to work on because like what he was talking about with Lie Loft or you were talking about with Lie Loft, yeah. right? We can put training wheels on clubs. Correct. We can, I can make a golf ball go a certain direction by bending a golf club a certain way. Yep. Right. And so if, if we want to talk about getting the right clubs and all this, I think you just need to start with lessons. Yeah. Understand your direction, your body, how you move. Have your PGA professional work out, you know, what you need for your golf game and then go from there. Exactly. And then once you make that decision with your PGA pro, like Wyatt said, then you can make that decision on what clubs to get and where to go from there. Clean ball flies farther. Okay. That's a, that's, I mean, we played plenty of mud balls in our life. Well, that's not by our choice. We've had to because of, of, of tournament conditions. But if you could go out there and tee it up, would you tee up with a ball that's got a little scuff on it and got a little mud on it, or would you want to tee off with a ball that's clean? I would say no clean. scuff. 100% clean. 100% clean. Because it affects the aerodynamic of how the ball flies through the air. Guaranteed. I mean, think, all right, so if we are, Quinn, you know this, KB, you know this. Like, if, So if the ball has mud on its right side and your target's straight away. Should go left. Should go left, theoretically. Now, what if you had a scuff from a cart path on the right side of the ball? Should go left. There you yeah. go. So, so no matter what, you want to have a clean, like, polyurethane. I think that's what they use, polyurethane cover on, on the outside of that ball because any type of nick, scratch, speck of dirt, chip from a rock in that, in that cover will cause an inconsistent ball flight and definitely some loss in distance because of side spin. And you, you guys word. both play enough golf with me. You always, always got a wet towel. Always got a wet towel because there's two things. You got to have your golf ball always clean. And it brings me to the next subject. Players that come into Apex or either when I, I teach them, it's amazing to me that all they would need to do is throw a little grass seed on the club face and they could grow grass because it's that dirty. And, and people don't realize the importance of having a clean club face. So why do you think that's important, White? From a, from a player's standpoint, it really helps with the launch, right? If the face is, if it's dirty, you might have a ball launch off to the right or to the left. I know for a fact from practicing, like if I don't clean my club off every time, because I'm pretty anal about it, I can definitely feel a difference in the face. You got compression with dirt, you've got, you know, and all that. And you sometimes can get a flyer Hmm. um, that goes to the right or to the left. A flyer being a launch direction off, not in the rough and the ball taken off with no spin. KB, what's your experience with dirty clubs though? Yeah, me personally, I uh, I noticed me coming from South Carolina down where me and Wyatt are both down from down south. We hit a lot through a lot of sand, uh, and so there's a lot of sand on the club face and stuff. So you're right. If you don't continue to clean off your club, you can see huge differences in spin, how high or low the ball launches, direction, all types of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's paramount that you have clean grooves because the grooves are on the club for a reason. They... Uh, take on particles of the grass or sand and they put them in the grooves. And the, the term flyer comes from when you have too much grass or sand between where you're striking the golf ball and the grooves. And that's why you have no spin or no control of the ball. So, you know, you watch on television, those, those caddies, they're always walking down. First thing they do is clean the clubs and they take a tee or something and they're scrubbing out those, those grooves. But by far, if golfers would be just more diligent about that, they'd have more control of the golf ball. I agree. I agree. What's next, Quinn? Okay, what about, does a golf glove matter? Should you wear a golf glove? Uh, I would say yes. Golf, Your hands or your grip is the only thing you have controlling or the only contact you have with the golf club. So if you don't have a, I'd say, stable or consistently solid or good grip on the club, that causes club face rotation, and that's not Freddie ideal. Couples never wore a glove. Well, he must have great grip strength. <laughs> um, 
You know what? I practice without a glove. I don't know. I just always have. Um, I've really like, I've just built up my calluses enough and it's just like, I don't know. It's just natural, but I play with one. Yeah. You know, I, I think that it's like, I don't think it's like a necessary thing, but it's definitely something that's an advantage if you're using it. So I use it in a tournament. It, I wear a rain glove in the in the summertime. Yep. So. so here's another question for you. So obviously full swings driver and irons, I use a glove, but chipping in around the greens, like let's say 40 yards in, I probably don't. What do you guys do? Or bunkers, I do. What about you guys? Mm. Use a glove in a bunker, use a glove around the greens. Well, a glove kind of deadens a little bit of the sensation of your hand because it's another layer between you and your and your nerves on that. So I think a glove really is a great leverage club to have on high-speed swings. I think without a glove around the green makes perfect sense because I've done that in my career too as well because I want to create more feel with the grip and the club like that. So I don't think there's a wrong and right on this. And and I, I think uh, whatever fits you, but I think a glove creates just another leverage point between you and the club and can stabilize it. Because I, I see this quite often as a teacher, somebody will start off gripping the club. When they're finished, they're not holding the club the same way they started with. So somewhere they're losing the connection. And if you, if you lose that connection, you're going to alter your face. Hmm. So then it's going to create all sorts of different problems. All right, so how about this one? Short game is king. That's a myth. What's on there? Short game's king. Is that true or not? That's a good question. Um, to me, I mean, the, 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 new, the new fad in golf is like, let's see how fast we can go, right? Um, I think it depends on the time period you grew up in. In my opinion, you spend more time with a putter in your hand than any other golf club, right? 40, 40% of your strokes are going to be with a putter. Yeah, so... To me, I still feel like somebody that has a better short game is going to rake it in compared to somebody that, you know, yeah, they hit it a long ways, but, man, if I can, you know, no matter what, if I miss the green and I get up and down or I have 27 putts around, 28 putts around, I'm going to, I'm always going to, I feel like I'm going to come out on top. Yeah, it's still a numbers game. So no matter how far you hit it, you still got to be able to get it in the hole in a, a low number of shots. So having the having a good short game really takes some stress off your clubs when you, you don't hit greens and when you hit it out of balance and stuff. So I agree with that. Short game definitely has an influence. It's much more important than most people think. Uh, but like I said, it's a numbers game. You can't just rip drivers and not be able to score. So you look at the great golfers. Okay, so one of the things when Tiger was coming on the tour – the things that they really got um, everybody's attention is how far he could hit the ball, and he could bomb it. But Butch Harmon says when he learns how to control the ball and heightens his short game, that's when he's going to become the complete player. So I don't think you can drive the ball off the planet and not have a great short game and vice versa. So can you still win not hitting the ball long? Yes, you're not as relevant on other majority of golf courses because length are a factor there, but... I still would give the edge to short game. I still would give that edge to short game along those lines. And no question, we're in this push for speed. And, uh, you know, in golf, you know, I've seen cycles of golf. I've seen it all cycled out. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to always go back to who can get the ball the quickest in the hole, and that's the short game. Yeah. Simple as that. The guy that puts the hole with the putter. Guaranteed. You know, 40% with putting, the other 20% short game. So that leaves 60% less or 40% less. So, uh, again, you could argue this one's your blue in the face, but I still think short game's the key because it makes your target much bigger. Yep. Um, all right, how about this one? When you're playing, you should always keep score. When you're playing, when you're out there, KB, you go out there and play tomorrow, and should you always keep score? Uh, I mean, uh, 
it depends on what I'm working on. If I'm if I'm playing for fun, yeah. I mean, I I like to keep score, but um, that's just to keep to quanti- hold myself accountable and quantify myself. If I'm just going out with some friends to hit some practice shots and mess around. I, I sometimes I will keep score, sometimes I won't. Um, but most of the time I do just because I like to keep statistics, figure out where I still need to work on my game and stuff like that. So I would say I personally do keep score pretty much all the time. You know what's funny is um, Golf Digest just had a uh, magazine come out with Daniel Kang on her, on on the front, and she had a story in there with Butch Harmon, her coach, and she talked about how she doesn't play golf for fun. Yeah. She doesn't play golf at all unless it's she's out playing for money or something like that. So I think it's important that you keep score so that, you again, like you were saying, KB, that um, – that you know how to leverage, you know, like what you need to do and get, you know, get better. But, you know, you got Danielle who's been doing it. It's her job, right? And she does it for a living. For her, it's like work. And so when she goes and does it, you know, she has a meaning behind it, right? But then you got these other guys that are just wanting to have a good time. And and honestly, maybe some people don't want to get any better. They just want to have a good time with their buddies, go out on a Saturday. I don't think you necessarily have to keep score every single time. um, But definitely if you're wanting to get better, you need to keep score so you know how to yeah, it's definitely definitely keeping score shows you where you need to improve. And you, if you go out there and say, "Oh, I hit, I didn't hit my driver well today." Well, how many drivers did you hit? Fourteen. Well, I shot. If you shot 120 and you hit 14 drivers, it's not your drivers getting you in trouble. So you got to figure out where your missing link is, and then where to go from there. So how about more practice equals better results? That's a uh, negative on that. Yeah, one. that's yeah. a no. I'd say more purposeful practice. There you go. Definitely, but just practice itself, you have to have the right practice plan. I'm a victim of uh, some over-practice in my life, so yeah. I've got a couple injuries to, to go along with that one. Um, I think it is a definite misconception that you think that the more you put time into it, the better you're going to be, and honestly, I've seen the opposite thing a lot of times. Now, obviously, you're going to get better, right? You're going to have experience that other people don't have, but in the end, your body may pay for it. I mean, ask Tiger Woods. Mm. right yeah ask tiger i mean yes i mean he's the greatest that we've ever seen but look at his body right yeah. he struggles to even play golf now and, and it's i mean obviously he had a car accident but still like he struggles with that look at all these older guys that have been playing golf forever and it's just one of those things i think that again like that purposeful practice you when you go out and you have and you practice i think that every time you make a swing it should have a meaning behind it right and that's why we talk about when you come in here to apex we we have a plan for you we have an idea that um, when you come in here, it's time to work and, and fight and get better. And every minute that you spend in here is going to, you know, we hope that it's uh, a meaningful one. Hmm. So um, I think that's where I think definitely you you can't believe that if you put a m- that much time into it, you're going to get that much better. So, yeah. And that's the other thing kind of like sticking with something, too. I see a lot of people who when they practice, they just rake a ball, hit Patience. it, rake a ball, hit it, rake a ball, hit it. And then if, if whatever them and their instructor is, is working on or whatever they are working on doesn't work immediately, sometimes they revert back to their old swing. I think we did a podcast like last winter on psychology and stuff like that. Yeah. So definitely something. Yeah. Like stay in the out. process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you definitely can get better by practicing the correct stuff, being diligent than just hidden and raking, hidden and raking, because I think we're, we, we're a lot of the sports performance science is, is showing us very clear is that you've got to try to replicate more of what you're going to see on the golf course. So why do we, the common uh, phrase you'll hear from a golfer, well, I was just ripping on the driving range, but I went to the golf course and blew up. Well, they didn't practice like they're going to play. You know, they just hit 20 different seven irons, same club, same distance, 
of drivers and went out to tee instead of Hogan. And like a lot of these players have, because we learned from the past, before he didn't tee it up, he'd replicate the first three sh- holes. So he'd hit the drive, he did what he thought the approach shot was going to be, then he'd go to the second hole and the third hole. So by the time he got out there, he already started playing some golf and got his mind away f- from the practice session and got himself more into that variable on the golf course. Because golf is, think about all the variables that are involved in golf. It's overwhelming how many out there. Yeah, you make a good point, Quinn. I, there's so many guys that talk about Francesco Molinari. He, his coach, I forget his name off the top of my head, um, right before he won the British Open at Carnoustie, he talked about how his coach was, his coach grilled him for three months before that tournament because Francesco wanted to win it so bad. When they would get to the golf course and start working, it was nothing but pressure games to put him in a situation where he just had this overwhelming amount of stress on him. And, um, and I think that's ultimately what helped Francesco get to that point, right? He, he really put him, his coach put him in a position where he was trying to win that golf tournament every day before the events even started. And uh, I think that's what changed that for him, for sure. Yeah, and we've, we've learned that now, you know, these coaches uh, or these players have a team built around them, you know, and they got the team that helps them in the gym, helps them mentally, helps them with nutritional standpoint, helps them with sleep behaviors, helps them with all the decisions they need to make. You know, they've taken it very serious. And you see that in the NBA. You see that in the NFL. You have to have teams because, you know, it kind of takes a village to raise a kid. Well, it takes a village to really uh, get an athlete to have peak performance. You know, another one that uh, I think we get into trouble with is, uh, you know, when Hogan was a dominant golfer, and you guys all know how much I appreciate Hogan and how much I appreciate just the history of golf, but people try to copy swings. And I tell you what, that is such a mistake because you got to understand what your body can do. You got to understand the mobility in your body. You got to understand the stability in your body. You got to understand how you think all those things because it's, there's not one golfer that swings alike. They swing similar. Okay. But they don't swing alike because you got guys hitting the ball uh, left to right and you have guys hitting the ball right to left, all different patterns. So there's in the hall of fame, there's so many different ways people got on the hole. That's why if you ever get with a teacher that has one style, my recommendation is you run because they'll try to cookie cut you into that style. And it's not because you got to understand what the body does. That's why I think TPI has just been a phenomenal organization. They really made us aware of that. I got another myth uh, just off the top of my head, guys, if you don't mind me interjecting real quick. So I heard this before when my students said this to me the other day, you have to be able to be a high school golfer. You have to be able to work the ball both ways. What do you think? I had a guy ask, actually say that yesterday to me. He's like, I'd love to work it both ways. And I said to him, I said, how nice would it be to know which way the ball is going to go every, every single, single time? time? Yeah. I, I love said, that thought process. I said, I have almost 15 to 16 years of competitive uh, play under my belt. And I'm going to say the, 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 the best piece of wisdom I can give you from a golfer standpoint is knowing where the ball is going to go every single time. Because when you line up over that shot and you're like, well, I guess 25% of the time I'm going to hit it left, 25% of the time I'm going to hit it right, and I'm gonna, the next one's going to go 40 feet in front of me. Yeah. Right? How? Are, why would you even say let's go both ways if... You can't go one way consistently. But yeah, yeah, correct. I agree with that. I agree with that. If you master one of those ways and then just pick the right start lines, you can play some really good golf with that. Mm-hmm. That one curvature shot. Now, don't get me wrong. There will be instances where you have to curve it both ways potentially, oh, yeah. but... I'd get really good at mastering that first one. Yeah, and then going from there, it's already hard enough. 
So how about this one? You should always hit a driver. No. I know that from experience. Don't do it. Uh, first question you should ask yourself on the tee box, what's the advantage of hitting driver? If there's not a really big advantage or you potentially, like me, would bring trouble into play if you hit driver because it might not go as straight as you want, hit an iron or hit something you can keep in front of you. That's what I would recommend. I think that uh, Scott Fawcett says opposite. You say hit driver every time? He sent out a tweet like, I don't know, about a month and a half ago or something like that. He yeah. said something along the lines. He's like, he gave some data and everything, and he says, you know what? Just rip driver because the closer you are to the green, the lower the strokes. So there's a give and take, and everybody, you know, they look at Scott Fawcett as a yeah. as a leader right now. In well, you industry. look at Bryson, too. I mean, he's kind of he's kind of flipped that question like Quinn asked kind of upside down, too. He, he rips driver a lot. I'd say most par fours and par fives, he's hitting it out there. Who's and this? Bryson. Oh. Why? Is that wrong? No, I thought you said Quinn. No, Quinn's a three-wood master. Quinn, Quinn hits the three-wood right down the, down the fairway. You know what's interesting about that is I hit the club that I know for certain that I can execute on the tee box. Okay, there's what I do. And then also I look three at wood. the width of the fairways and where I want to land the ball. So if I got a fairway out there and it's 240 yards to 270, it's the widest part, okay, I'm going to probably hit the, a wood into that because I want to play – I think it's still an advantage to play out of fairways. Now, research says that's not accurate, but I like to control the ball. I'm a little yeah. bit of old school. Just so we, everybody knows, I think Quinn is probably the longest out of anybody I've ever seen in my life with a three-wood yeah. compared to all the other clubs in his bag. For some reason, that just... I think his three-wood goes farther than his driver. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's just on like steroids or something. It's crazy. It's all that. It's all that plane and wind going through college, keeping that flight low and that there, landing angle, just screaming. I swear it was like three months ago when the new Titleist Wood came out. He's like, "How far did I carry that wood that tournament?" Because um, I played with him yeah. as a, in a pro pro, and he's like, "He's like, I said like it probably carried like two sixty. I thought it went two eighty. Yeah. <laughs> us golfers don't have reality of what we do. We have fantasy of what we yeah. think that we did. It's like so. I hope I hit that two eighty. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate all you guys listening today, and we would love for you to chime in and tell us about anything you want us to talk about in future podcasts. Uh, so signing off today from Apex Golf IQ, it's KB. It's Wyatt. Hey, it's Quinn. Have a great day, guys. See ya.